50 by 2020. To have women's voices be raised like this is so critically important. It's a challenge because we're underrepresented. I think one of the things that we need to address is the lack of diversity. And we are going to keep working hard so that we have 50% representation of women in the field. Welcome. This is Women Crush Wednesdays by Nywift. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Hi, Janine. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Margarita? I'm okay. It is June, June 5th. Women Crush Wednesdays is in full effect today. And I'm feeling the energy. Yes. <laughs> yes, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on um, for the organization because everyone is super busy, ramped up. We've got one week um, to go for the Designing Women's Gala. It's one of our um, major red carpet galas that we have, one of the two uh, major galas that we have of the year, and um, it promotes women behind the scenes who work in hair, makeup, design, and costume. So um, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big thing. Not a lot of recognition goes out there for the women who do this, you know, behind the scenes. And uh, so we're really excited that this year, and I'm not sure if everyone has gone to them, but it's coming up Tuesday, June 11th. It's going to be at the Directors Guild of America Theater. That's the, the first time we're going to be doing this gala or presenting this gala at that theater. Um, so if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, please do so. They're running out quickly. Um, the honorees that we've got, uh, starting with Michelle Clapton, Game of Thrones. I mean, And the Crown. And the Crown. Oh, my gosh. So much detail has to go in there. Um, and I and, and the I've seen her. So we weren't able to get her on um, the interview for this podcast. This episode, we're going to catch her on the red carpet at the gala, and we'll be able to um, talk with her then. So we'll we'll bring you a nice uh, red carpet interview with her next week. But um, you know, looking at everything that she's been getting, she's been getting some good recognition, um, doing some some press tours. I've seen her on, um, I think, Variety, Vanity Fair. Like, she, she's, she's doing amazing, so she's been pretty busy herself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, of, of the costumes, I, I mean, I'm just excited to hear how this goes down, right, Janine? Like, it's just, there's a lot that must go into the whole, the whole period pieces. Are exactly. Just... And I think, you know, with Game of Thrones, she probably has a little more license to kind of come up and be a little more creative. So I'm interested to know for The Crown how much of what she designs she has to follow what the Queen and other people at that time wore, or yeah. is she able to kind of put a little bit of change or a flair on it? So um, to me, I, I feel like she has the best of both worlds. She can, was able to be creative and design just, you know, 
from what she feels would work for Game of Thrones. But on The Crown, she probably had to take, you know, the outfits and the gowns and, and what the queen was wearing at that time and then work off of that, which is, you know, two very yeah. different ways of working. Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy. And I know that you've, I know that you've worked, um, uh, you used to work for HBO and you worked on Game of Thrones, um, the series. Was was there ever a time that you were able to get on uh, get to her or to talk a little bit about? The I didn't really work with her directly um, because my role was mainly doing publicity for the marketing, licensing, and the home entertainment side. Yeah. But you know, on the licensing side, she did create um, a, a jewelry line that uh, oh, wow. they promoted, uh, which w- was beautiful, uh, and a lot of wow. it obviously was you know themed from the show. And she came to uh, Comic-Con, and when Game of Thrones had their pop-up activation there, she came and kind of, like, introduced the line, and they had a little um, press event there. And her work was just gorgeous. Yeah. And and people had a chance. It was, you know, something that they did very exclusively, limited time. But if people wanted to go and and get that necklace that Danny was wearing, the dragon necklace, the choker that she had, and other items, um, you know, they could... uh, they could purchase them at that time. So really, um, you know, oh, yeah, that's she, awesome. she's just such a, a visionary, I think, and it was it was great just to kind of be on the periphery of that. Yeah, wow, that's really cool. I think um, I'll definitely ask her about that when we're on the red carpet with her mm-hmm. um, about that because, gosh, I wish I would have known that. I would have tried to get someone to get that necklace for me. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was back in 2016 um, wow. when she did that. Yeah, really cool. Um, and then who else we have? We have I um, am talking to makeup artist Ricky Johnson during this podcast. I have a wonderful interview with her. She yeah. has been a makeup artist for over 65 years. Um, she's done some freelance work, but most notably she's been with CBS uh, since uh, almost the start of television. So she's had a, an amazing career and has done um, makeup for presidents and celebrities and obviously a lot of the correspondents and stars from CBS. Um, and Leslie Stahl will be presenting the award to her next week so that's going to be really exciting yeah that is really cool I can't wait to uh um to catch that because I uh I would love to hear because I know during these um designing women um events the galas what's really great is that the presenters share their stories of you know how their relationship it goes on from behind the scenes and into real life and they share stories that happens on set or stage and funny little moments or you know heartwarming moments it's always mm-hmm. a really lovely time to like listen to those stories that you don't really get to hear anywhere else so i'm excited to hear what um what Leslie Stahl can say after all of the years that Ricky Johnson's been working. I mean, she's, right. she's been doing this for a long time. She's been, she's, she's like, uh, how, how old is she? Is she in her 60s or she's, do we know? Um, yes, I think even older than that. Yeah. So, I mean, to have um, such longevity in this, in this field and, and it's just, you know, that's really great. I'm excited and I'm glad that she's getting this award for sure. Um, we have another interview coming up that will be with uh, 
um, Leah Kearney on our, on our podcast team. She's going to be interviewing Shanika Terry. And um, she's the hairstylist for um, a bunch of different um, television and um, shows, including Atlanta and House of Cards. And she worked on films like Bad Boys 3 and Shaft and Game Night, which I actually thought that was a really um, funny movie. And yeah. Tag, Tag was funny. And The Boss, they were, they were all pretty yeah. funny. So and that's Atlanta pretty cool. is, is so enjoyable and great. Um, I, yeah. I love catching that every chance that I can get. <laughs> I have to, I mean, again, I got to catch up. I think I was on the <laughs> third episode or something, but I really do enjoy it. Um, I definitely will need to catch up because um, the presenter is um, Zazie Beats. Mm-hmm. So she's going to be presenting the award to Shanique Terry, so I'm excited to hear um, what that will be about. And I remember last year we had the award um, for, I think it was hair and costume, but she also did the nails. No, she didn't do the nails. She did the hair for Claws, the TV show. And Oh, you love that show. I love that show. And so it was so great to hear their stories about how they put the characters together with the style of either the hair or makeup or how that style, um, the stylization, I'll give it a call, give it a, a shout out for stylization, um, how that came about for each character. And, and so I'm excited to hear about Atlanta because that's, you know, I know there's, there's a beautiful um, theme there. So I'm, I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, and then we have the uh, Variety Ensemble Award, which goes yeah. to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And yeah. I think we have a couple of great presenters that um, are going to yeah. be doing that. Why don't you give us a heads up on who's going to be attending? Yeah, so Rachel Brosnahan, who is the star of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I can't wait to catch a photo with her, um, Caroline Aaron, and Marin Hinkle. Um, and uh, and Carolyn Aaron, from what I remember, is has been in, in so many things. Um, I can't even remember because I remember seeing her in like TV shows from when I was little, um, right? Like almost like the the Facts of Lifeish time era, right? She was in like, yeah. Things. She's she's been in everything. I feel, and she's so good. She's one of those amazing character actresses that can do anything and be anyone. Yeah, exactly. And Marin Hinkle, which is really great. I. I know she was in um, Three and a Half Men, but I know she's been in other things, too. Like, her face is very familiar. But, um, but her role in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is pretty, is pretty funny because she does um, play a pretty, like, um, a pretty prestigious role of, of, of what women should feel and act and, and be like. And then, she, and then her character develops into a little bit more of, like, kind of reflecting her daughter a little bit in, yeah, in some ways. Yeah, she yeah. had a really good season this year where she kind of really stands out and, and yeah. becomes a force on her own, which uh, yeah. is, is great. She's, she's great in that role, as, as is the whole cast. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. I can't wait. I cannot wait. We're going to get to see the costumes because they're bringing costumes for the Marvelous Mrs. Measles and the costumes for Game of Thrones. Well, not all, of course, but there's a selection of costumes. And um, they each come with their own entourage of costume um, people who will be putting it together and, and who take it, from what I heard, takes hours and hours and hours to put these costumes together because of these pieces are crazy. Um, 
Yes, I remember when we had our traveling Game of Thrones exhibit. Um, it would go to Comic-Con every year and to oh, South wow. by Southwest. It came to New York for a while. And I remember the load-in, um, taking the mm-hmm. time of just making sure that all of those pieces and the props and especially the costumes were, um, you know, put on the mannequins and, and done so well that it, it definitely, it's so intricate just to see you think it would be easy yeah. just to kind of throw a dress on, but it, but it's not. And <laughs> no, like it really gives you so much more of an appreciation of, of you know, what of these people job. do in the craft in making the, the wardrobe. And, you know, the, yeah. even the wigs are amazing on that show as well. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that they had a, um, a tour for the craft. Yeah. Um, it was for a number of years, and that's one of the things that that I worked on doing the publicity for that. And it was oh, great, and the cool. fans loved it. Like especially in Comic Con, the fans um, yeah. would do activations. But then when we had the the tour with the props and this the the sceneries and and stuff like that, people would wait online for hours to get inside um and it was just lovely just to get that that wonderful positive energy and the fans loved it so much and i think hbo and the the show just loved being able to offer that to the fans to give them that kind of one-on-one close-up experience with a television show that they were so rabid about (laughs) yeah oh my gosh that's exciting i am I didn't know about that. I mean, I know when it was in New York, I didn't know it was a tour, though. I just thought it was just um, some pop-up event happening in New York. But uh, that's pretty fascinating that they would go on the tour. I wonder yeah, what they're so going to do with the costumes. Everybody, if they thing. get their tickets, they can come and they can see a piece of these two wonderful shows in person. I wonder what they're going to do with the costumes now that the season, the series is over. Do they? bring them to like a Game of Thrones museum or something? <laughs> I don't know. They should. I'm sure that that, that, that would get a lot of visitors. <laughs> yeah. I yes, mean, it would, maybe, maybe they'll save them in case there's some kind of, you know, reunion movie down the road. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get the chair. I think um, the last we heard were negotiating. It's not a the, chair. It's a throne. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Now, now remind you that I'm still in the very couple, first couple of seasons, so. <laughs> and I think I've only seen The Throne, maybe. The Throne was in the first season. I didn't see it pop up again unless I missed it. Like, it didn't appear in, like, the third or fourth season, I don't I'm think. sure it did. All right, well, I didn't you just weren't I'm sure you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it was there somewhere. I just didn't see it. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be very cool. I don't even know what to wear. I mean, usually when I come to the gala, I have to wear something that just is just stand outish because I remember one of the, uh, designing women galas, I don't remember which one it was, but it was the, uh, makeup team for something. Gosh, I can't remember because this was a few years ago, but, um, the makeup team came all together to support one of the honorees and they were so decked out in like a period piece with like period costumes and like, and their makeup was just like, you know, editorial. And so I feel like I should, I should be editorial makeup. It should be like, (laughs) I should look like one red eye, one purple eye or something. I don't know. I just need Okay. I'm excited to see that. (laughs) 
I definitely, I, I dressed up as sort of clear Cleopatra style uh, a couple of years ago, and I thought that was cool. But now I don't know. I don't know what to, what to, should I be a rose? Like, I feel like this, our, our fashion year has been a little bit off. I don't know. And I'm actually still, I'm still thinking about the documentary. I don't know why. I, I, I guess because it was just my era of hip hop 10, hip hop fashion 10, hip hop fashion 10 documentary by Lisa Cortez and Misa. Oh my gosh. I'm just reveling still in the hip hop and fashion from the nineties. And so maybe I'll dress up in that style that maybe that'll be the theme. Okay, I think you should do that and then post pictures on the blog so everybody can see it. Yes. <laughs> All right, we're, I got to think about it now. Now, now a lot of pressure is on me. I got to think about this. That will give people more of an incentive to buy tickets just to see you. <laughs> or should I dress up as a character in Game of Thrones? I mean, I don't know. The, the, the possibilities well, why don't are endless. You could be like Madonna and you could have wardrobe changes throughout the event. Oh my gosh, that is exactly what it should be. Yes, I should be one moment Marvelous Mrs. Maisel character mm-hmm. and then another moment Game of Thrones character. I should, yes. Go for meanwhile, it. Meanwhile, I'm just um, going to be behind the scenes uh, doing social media. So <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to see it, but I will be able well, to. Well, if you're in charge of social media, photos. like I said, just take some pictures and then yeah. you're in charge of posting them. <laughs> Well, definitely check out the NYWIFT, follow NYWIFT social media, because uh, I'm sure whatever I dress in, I'm going to make a shout out to NYWIFT, hashtag NYWIFT. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, that'll be exciting. I'm, I'm, I can't wait. So, I guess let's check out these interviews, and then yeah. we'll get back to you with some goings-ons in the world of women in the industry and uh, what we're watching. Hey, everybody. I am Leah, and I am here today joined by Shanika Terry. I have the very great pleasure of speaking with her today on our podcast. She is one of the honorees for the 2019 NYWIFT Designing Women Award. She's an extraordinary artist with an accomplished career as a designer and hair department head. Most rec- I mean, I could go on with her credits um, all, all afternoon, but uh, most recently her, she designed the films Bad Boys for Life, Super Intelligence, Shaft, um, not to mention two seasons of the Emmy Award-winning show Atlanta, and so many more. Um, Shanika Terry, thank you so much for joining us today on the Women Crush Wednesdays podcast. Ah, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, we're so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here on the phone Excellent. with you. It's just all, I'm just excited. Excellent. Well, I, I thought I'd start off by um, asking you a little bit about how you got started. Um, I read that you started out as a hairstylist in salons and then moved to styling for magazine shoots. So I'm curious how that led you eventually to um, TV and film. Well, I mean, um, I worked, you know, really hard. I was in the salon for uh, 10, like for 10, like 10, 11 years. But with, um, in my ninth year of being in the salon, I was working with a makeup artist um, named Bridgette Washington, and she's oh, just an amazing artist. And i never forget it. She called me one day, and she's like, hey, um, I got a phone call to do a, a movie in Austin. Are you interested in helping me out to, with hair? Because they wanted her to do hair and makeup. It was an um, independent film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
movie called Kings of the Evening. And uh, when she presented it to me, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And <laughs> i never forget that day when I got that phone call um, that, you know, basically I passed all my clients over to uh, the other hairstylists in the salon that I was working at and uh, working in at the time and um, packed, packed my salon suite up, basically everything that you can possibly think of from dryers or curlers, rollers, mm. Every everything, and I just put it in my little uh, car. My, I had a coupe at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Packed it up and uh, drove out to Austin, and I was out there for, uh, we, we shot for five weeks, I believe it was five, six weeks. And when I was there, I, let, I met and I was working with the lovely Lynn Whitfield, and uh, she was really impressed with me, and she asked me to do her her. Um, uh, movie that uh, when we wrapped that one, that she had another one coming up, and she asked me if I would like to do it with her to be a personal hairstylist. Mm. So that was like the introduction to the film world for me. Wow! And and you were you're originally from Dallas, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm originally from Dallas, Texas. And so, did after you started um, moving toward TV and film, did that lead you to move to Atlanta eventually? Yeah. Um, so. With the introduction, you know, doing my first movie in um, Austin, Texas, and I was still working in the salon at the time, so I would go back and forth. And during that time, that's when Louisiana had their tax incentive, and it was mm. um, a lot of movies were being filmed in the Shreveport, uh, in the city of Shreveport, and New Orleans and Baton Rouge, which so happened that the movie that I, um, uh, the second movie that I ever worked on, with Lynn, with Lynn was in Baton Rouge, so I met people that were in um, L.A. And the people that I uh, worked with in L.A., whenever they had friends or anyone that worked in Louisiana, they would give me a phone call. I was, you know, recommendation to the people from L.A. And uh, to make a long story short, I became a word of mouth because it was not that many hairstylists uh, in that area, like for mm. for Louisiana and Texas. And so with it, with Louisiana being a neighboring state, it was easier for me to move there to get my feet wet in the film industry, and um, so I moved there and stayed in Louisiana for a year before I moved to uh, Georgia, uh-huh. and the reason why I left um, Louisiana is because, for you know, for one, it was a lot of things going on with her, uh, with films and stuff pulling out, and by that time, I decided to step away from the salon world and go full force with mm. uh, film and television, so I had a decision to either go back to Dallas and, you know, go back to the salon or move forward with um, a new, something that I fell in love with, which was, you know, filmmaking, you know, for hair, so I just decided to stick with it and... Um, pretty much just move out of, you know, step out on faith and move to another city, really another state, and, you know, to pursue um, a dream that I never, you know, really thought that was, what, what can I say, it was, it was a dream, but then also, too, it was like the doors unlocked to another passion that I had, mm. which was for film and television. That That's very inspiring. And then, and then how did you move... Um once you'd entered the world of TV and film and were working as a hairstylist, then you, you 
quickly moved to being a key hairstylist, and now you've been the head of the department, the um, hair department head on, you know, a number of, you know, dozens of TV and film projects. How Did you always know you had a passion or interest in designing, or how did you move into that role? Um, that's, you know, that's definitely... Um, I would say, you know, I'll always give glory to God for his steps of, mm-hmm. you know, opening new doors and putting people in my life, like um, good mentors that showed me the way while I was, you know, stepping into this new world for film, you know, film and television. Because like I said, I had a strength in the salon world. So this was all new for me. And once I, you know, worked under great uh, department heads, uh, they taught me, and I was open to listen. I was like a sponge mm-hmm. um, that I just paid attention to everything that they did, um, the good things and the bad things, you know, all of it, because um, <laughs> we can learn from it all, right? Right. So uh, when I moved to Georgia, because for one, when I was in Louisiana, I worked under um, – his name is Tony, Tony Ward, and I was his key. And it was like a lot of smaller projects, but Tony Ward worked on a lot of great major uh, features and uh, TV uh, series, and he had a great mentor for himself. And so basically all the knowledge was just all passed down, you know. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I was a sponge to soak up any and all information. So when the opportunity came to me, uh, which I department headed my first movie, which was called Stump the Yard, um, it would, went straight to DVD. But I never forget it because I was a, a key um, for life as we know it. And that was like one of my first major feature films to ever be a key hairstylist on. Mm-hmm. And I... Um, um, near the end of that movie, when we were about to wrap up, two weeks out, I got a phone call that they were looking for a department head, and I was working with a, uh, a makeup artist, Denise Tanell, and she was like, "Hey, I think you can do it. You know, you you you, you you're a strong key for your department head, and I've been watching you, so I think I really I really know that you can do this." And at that moment, I was like, "All right, you know what?" I can't do this, so mm. I, I spoke to my department head and explained everything to her, and um, she she was the one who encouraged me. She was like, you know what, you're going to do well, and you have my blessing, go for it. And I can say this, is that, you know, when I did that first uh, department head uh, job, that I grew um, a great relationship with producers and you know, directors, and on top of that, like you never know who's watching you. Mm. And at that moment, you know, I worked really hard because it, it, it just reminds you of when you're in school, right? That you have homework, <laughs> right? And then you you research and you do your homework. You want to do your best so you can ace the test the next day or the following week or however long you study. That's how I felt when I stepped in to my first role of being at the department head. I wow. just sat down and studied and, and pulled out everything and, you know, paid attention to who was, you know, casted and um, broke the script down to where I basically made my own movie in my head about how, <laughs> you know, people should, you know, the the, the cast should look and, uh, yeah. You know, make sure, you know, I pick a great team that we can all listen and learn and grow with one another. So it was a different experience, but it was great. 
Well, you, you've actually just answered my next question, which is, you know, what is your design process like? What is, um, you know, when you do uh, take on a new assignment, you start with the script or, or, you know, do you bring on your team? What is your, what is your artistic process like? Um, the, oh gosh, it's it's really fun. <laughs> I love it. So it doesn't matter if it's like a a comedy or drama or beauty show. You know, it's um, I I really let the script tell me what the feel should be, right? And um, I really do like creating characters. And so during the process, I, you know, read the script and, you know, take down notes and I have like a, a, a vision of what I see, even if, like it, before I meet the talent, even before I meet uh, the actor or the actress that I'm working with, I can kind of see it in my head and, you know, sketch out some things. And mm-hmm. especially if they're dealing like, you know, hey, somebody's a bad guy or if it's a gangster or if it's an Italian gangster or if it's an African-American gangster from mm-hmm. from Florida. You know, I just do the research of what uh, the the script calls for, but then also, too, like to give the history of the person that we're creating their look for. And then mm-hmm. at that moment, you know, I call up my team and I have, like, a team of barbers, a great straight um great team of uh, key um, females and males, you know, all across the board, all different ethnicities, and we all kind of sit down together. And, like, from the notes that I uh, write down, I bring them in on developing, you know, the, the looks for the characters. Mm. That's, and, it, you know, I, that's... and I, I believe in teamwork, you know. It's, it's, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I just, yeah, I... I uh, I encourage anyone listening to follow you on Instagram because I I just was very touched by how much how inspiring your posts are just how you how you express the gratitude for your team and the collab it's so evident how collaborative you are in your process and um, thank you yeah no thank you um, uh, I, I'm curious at what because um, you must work very closely with the your fellow designers with your costume. Um, designer and your makeup designer or, and obviously the director and producers as well is at what point do you um, do you all work closely together to create the look for a character oh definitely um, anyone that's worked with me knows that that's like one of my main you know processes because I always feel like um, you know with that it could normally you know, I, I listen to what everybody's ideas are. You know, I do that. You know, it's not about, oh, this is what I want to do, and everybody's got to follow in suit. You know, that's you know that's not it, because if you think like that, then you'll have, like, this grand, fabulous, like, hairstyle, and then someone's, like, dressed <laughs> very, you know. <laughs> right, it's got to work uh, together, right? Yeah, right, they're not as together. So it's like, okay, no. But I, I will say, me and the designers for every project that I work on, we have a, a really um, good relationship because I feel like the the wardrobe sets the tone for what I need to do for hair. Mm. And, you know, with makeup, um, we all pretty much, we flood out the, um, <laughs> the costume designer's trailer. 
because, you know, like every day, you know, I'm walking over, okay, so what are they wearing? And, you know, they send me their, their boards, and I have a board that I'll send to them and, you know, our our vision board for hair, and we all just, you know, bring it all together. So that's a big, big part of it. And the directors and producers really appreciate that when they see the that the hair, makeup, and um, wardrobe, Departments all come together and collaborate, you know, on what, yeah. you know, the, the cast should look like. So that's always a fun process. And then mm-hmm. even when changes are made, you know how the – Right. <laughs> it can be like a, a green light in one moment and then something <laughs> changes and it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've, I've had like a, a nice – a huge success with working well with, um, and I pride myself on that because more than anything, I like to listen and uh, also, you know, give the opinion when it's the right time, you know, time mm. is everything. Wow, that, that's really inspiring because, you know, there's so many moving pieces and there's so many, mm-hmm. you know, the, everyone's I think it can be easy for everyone to just get focused on their needs and their but I I love what you just said about finding the right moment you know when when you can all come together to make something happen rather than just kind of pushing your agenda forward because everyone you know has something different that they're working on I I realized I I told everyone they should follow you on Instagram and I didn't tell them your Instagram handle so it's um it's at Shanika T S H U N I K A T. So after you listen to this podcast, definitely go 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 follow her. She's amazing. Oh, um, and we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to wrap up by by asking you. You know, NYWIFT's mission is really to advocate for equality and inclusion. And so I just wanted to ask if you feel that there are things we can be doing to address the lack of diversity in hair and makeup departments, particularly how we can better support women of color in this industry, either in your particular. Um, field, you're, you know, in the, in the hair and makeup trailers or just across the board? Yeah. One thing that I always um, press forward and always speak about is, you know, having a diverse hand because, you know, unfortunately we, as open as we are in the world, we can still be closed-minded. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, is that um, you know open up to to diversity because, and I've been very thankful to say that um, I would say seventy percent of my um, of the films in the t- uh, series, TV series that I work on, have been predominantly Caucasian, mm-hmm. <laughs> and thirty percent have been you know more um, ethnic. And um, I can say that when I was in a salon, I worked in a predominantly black salon, and I noticed that I had a fear of different ethnicities, like the hair, not the people, Mm -hmm. but so far as to be comfortable with doing different types of textures of hair. So I pulled myself out of the salon to go work at um, Tony and Guy. And um, did some training like with Badassa soon and like a, a couple of like other places, mm-hmm. so I can get more familiar with different textures of hair, like Asian hair, um, um, Hispanic hair, you know, Caucasian hair. And with that being said, that took my 
my my uh, for one like being my education um, to a high level, but then also to my skill set, my skill level to um, oh my gosh, it just busted out of the roof because at that point I felt like okay, now it's time to go in and master everything or as much as I can and be open and not closed minded, you know. Mm. And with that being said, we have to be comfortable to get out of our box and and touch and feel and learn, even throughout the fear, you know. I don't know if you go work at a Supercuts for a minute because, mm. you know, Supercuts has so many different people that come in for a haircut. And that's the only way that you can get familiar and be comfortable with it is to, you know, go in and put yourself in and take yourself out of your comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's dealing with you know, being a, a barbering or, you know, grooming and, you know, it, education is everything. Training is everything. So um, having, you know, for what we're dealing with now, because I hear like it's been like a big conversation about, hey, you know, we're hiring people that are not, <laughs> don't have the skill set or better yet, you know, not comfortable with doing, you know, ethnic hair. And, but they might bring in someone else that, you know, can do it or probably do it. And it's become like a huge, you know, issue, I think, within the hair and makeup trailers to say, and I'm just speaking in the hair world because mm-hmm. makeup is something else, you mm-hmm. know, something else. Um, but with that being said is that I feel like while we're in it, you know, it's kind of like out with the old and in with the new. And the new is, for me, stepping out of your comfort zone, and 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 getting to learn what the world is like today, mm. you know, it's not just black and white anymore. Mm. I, that is that's such beautiful advice across the board for you know all of us. I think could take a yeah. Uh, so lesson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, I guess you know my you know advice with that because I, I feel like you know um, diversity is a plus because when we, the things are changing and you see what's going on before our eyes, so it's like okay, how do we move with that? Just like when you had a com- you know computer, you know we're not or cell phones, you know, we don't yeah. have the big, the, big, <laughs> the big box phone anymore. Everything is, you know, so as time goes and grows, we should too. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. I, I just have to ask one question, which is that do you have any any one small piece of advice for, for aspiring designing women out there like yourself? Uh, one small piece. Uh, absolutely um, believe in faith and um, you know and try your best to like overcome fear mm. and more than anything uh, step out your box and learn <laughs> mm. <laughs> as much as you can and you know um, listen it's just, you know, listen, because that's our best teacher, one of our best teachers. Mm. Beautiful. 
Thank you so, so much. And congratulations on the Designing Women Award. I hope you have a fantastic time at the ceremony next week. Um, I, I look forward to attending myself. If our listeners haven't, I'm not sure if it's completely sold out yet, but you can go to nywif.org and uh, see if you can still get a ticket. It's going to be an amazing event. Um, and it's just such a pleasure to be able to honor uh, leaders and, and women like yourself um, who are doing Thank such important so work in our in our industry. Thank you so yeah. much. I look forward to meeting you in person. <laughs> yes, likewise. And um, thanks for being on Women Crush Wednesdays with us today. Thank you. Many blessings. Hi, this is Janine, and this week I'm thrilled to be speaking with legendary makeup artist Ricky Johnson. Ricky has been with CBS for over 65 years and has done makeup for the news divisions, game shows, soap operas, and variety shows. She was there for the launch of 60 Minutes back in 1968 and continues to do makeup for the correspondents every week. Her work has graced the faces of veteran journalists such as Morley Safer, Ed Bradley, Walter Cronkite, Leslie Stahl, and even Edward R. Murrow, as well as notable politicians and celebrities including Presidents Johnson, Nixon, Ford, and Clinton, the chairman of the board himself, Frank Sinatra, and the Beatles. During her storied tenure at CBS, she married a cameraman and raised seven children. Ricky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to talk with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, we're delighted. So is it true that you started out wanting to be an actress and then someone suggested you try your hand at makeup? Well, actually, I did. I went out to California to the Pasadena Playhouse and got my master's degree. And uh, when I graduated, I came back to New York and I was making rounds with a fellow classmate, and we dropped off our pictures, you know, to different agencies, and he suggested that we go over to NBC. He heard they were hiring. So off we went, and in those days, you just walked in and filled out an application. They were really looking for people. It was in the early 50s, and uh, television was booming at that time, and they needed you know, needed people in all areas. So um, I, I filled out my application. I was interviewed, and um, they offered me a job as a makeup artist. I was an art major in college, and then I had the, you know, the theater background. So maybe they put the two together, I guess. And uh, anyway, they offered me a job in the makeup department, and I never considered being a makeup artist. So I said, no, thank you, and I walked out. <laughs> and my friend was in the hall, and he asked me what happened, and I told him. And he said, why don't you take it? You'll get your foot in the door. So I thought, all right. So I went back and I said, I've reconsidered. I think I will try this. So he looked, he looked at me rather strangely and um, he said, all right, up you go. Go upstairs and meet Dick Smith. Well, that was the best thing that ever happened to me because Dick Smith is legendary. And right. uh, he was a wonderful teacher and uh, took time to show me around and to teach me, really, about television makeup. And um, that's how I got started. That's amazing. And I worked started. on, I worked, they put me on the most amazing shows. The Milton Berle Show, the your show of shows with Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca, and, you know, some news shows. I mean, the you know, the cream of the crop. Yeah, 
And you went from NBC then to CBS. Why did you? Well, what happened was I, you know, I, 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 well, I was serious about my work and I really enjoyed it. I didn't think this was going to be my career, so I had an opportunity to go to Europe with a friend, and I took two months off and went off to Europe. And of course, when I came back, they didn't exactly welcome me with open arms. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't even been to NBC for a year, just about a year, and off I went for two months. So. Uh, I had, however, joined the union, and I went to a union meeting, and I met this man who was very, very friendly and very um, uh, interested in my in what I was doing and you know what what I was planning. And when I told him I didn't have a job, he walked me over the uh, over to the another part of the room and introduced me to Bob Jairus, and Bob Jairus was the head of the makeup department at CBS. So he said, Ricky's looking for work. And Bob said, come in on Monday. <laughs> so it seems like the universe just really wanted this career to happen for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, okay. you know, it, it seems so strange how, how it was all so easy for me. Right. And, and you've been there for um, over 65 years now. <laughs> so it seems no, I've been to have there for many, many years. I started out uh, doing the game shows. I did What's My Line. I've got a secret to tell the truth. And then they put me on the on a soap opera that only lasted a year. It was called um, It was called uh, the first hundred years, I think. And then uh, that didn't last. And and then they put me on the Guiding Light. The first uh, uh, when that first started. So on the Guiding Light was where I met my future husband. Oh, lovely. Yes, he was a cameraman, and I um, I was talking to the stage manager on set. I had an errand I wanted to do, and I told him that I was going to be leaving a little early, and could he please cover for me? And I didn't know that they had uh, repositioned the boom, and I turned around quickly to leave, and I hit my head on the boom <laughs> and broke my glasses. <laughs> the glasses fell down and on the ground, and they were in two pieces. And the, I hear this voice saying, CBS will pay for these. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Jay. And uh, I laughed, you know, and he didn't ask me how I was or anything. He just, you know, he was concerned about my <laughs> my glasses. So I, um, I would see him in the hall uh, after that, and he'd call out to me, how's your head? <laughs> and uh, and then finally one day I said, fine, how's you. yours? And then he asked me for a date, and then, then of course, we got married a year later. Well, that that sounds like the beginning of a romantic comedy. You should sell the rights to that story. <laughs> well, it is a nice story, but it, it really happened, and it, and it was beautiful. And um, we have now, we, we, we married, and we had seven children. And um, I worked during, in between, and... How how I did it, I have no idea, but I, I did it. I was it. just going to ask how how you did it because I don't have any children, and I can't imagine keeping up the schedule that you did for uh, work. Not only trying to raise and keep track of seven kids. Well, my husband was very hands on. He really helped me a great deal, and he was very organized. So uh, what we did was I I resigned from staff actually. And so I took early morning calls, and he took calls and later in the day he was able to do that. And if he wasn't, I adjusted to whatever his schedule was. 
And so then we, like we did have to have of your career. We did have to have uh, babysitters, and uh, you know, and and people to come in clean or whatever. But I never had a live-in person. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. What did you ask me? No, I said um, that it sounds like he was very supportive of your career. Very supportive, very supportive. And it was it wouldn't have been possible if we both hadn't been in the same industry, industry. because I don't think anybody understands uh, the nature of this uh, television. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how you really have to have to be there when you say you're going to be there. Nobody, right. they, they can't, you know, postpone it or fill in or have somebody else come in unless it's really an emergency. Right. Um, now, you had said that you kind of started right at the, the burgeoning time of television. Things yes. were black and white and then transitioned into color, and now we have HD and, and 4K. Right. How has the makeup and, and your application and the, and the styling that you've had to do adjusted through those years? Well, it certainly has changed. And black and white television, of course, it was live, too, at that time. Uh, the soap operas were 15 minutes long, and they were live, and it was pancake makeup, and, uh, you know, not you didn't have to worry too much about color, you know, eyeshadows or colors, lipstick colors and things like that in the black and white, um, just highlight and shadow mainly, and... Um, you know, and certainly blended and carefully blended. And then when we went into uh, black and, uh, I'm sorry, when we went into color, uh, that was another whole other story. Then I, I had to be very aware of skin tone, eye color, what they were wearing, the women, and um, the men too, and what the background was, what mm-hmm. the sets were. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we dabbled in different colors of eyeshadows and lipsticks and, um, and, and the makeup itself and, uh, you know, had to, had to be very, um, uh, had to be the right color, the skin tone, to match the skin tone. And then with high definition, it was just more of the same, but more, um, more carefully applied. Because with high definition, you see everything. Right. Um, every pore. <laughs> and so, did you yeah. have freedom as you kind of built your career and people and producers started to trust you to do what you felt was best? Or did you work a lot with the directors and producers as kind of developing what should be done, what type of color should be used? No, I, I had pretty much my own freedom. Um, Occasionally, I would get, um, you know, some notes about uh, how they should look. I mean, if we're doing, if in a soap opera, if we're doing a, a party or a ball scene, obviously the makeup is going to be much uh, more dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, as opposed to, let's say, the news people, you want them to look good, but you don't want the makeup to uh, prevail. You don't want to be looking at their makeup and not listening to what they're saying. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, so that um, you know, I, I've always had a light touch, and um, I don't. I, I'm not. You know, I, I, I don't uh, dramatize. Um, certainly not in the news and in uh, you know everyday kind of programming. Mm-hmm. I read that um, when you 
did the makeup for the Beatles right before their performance on Ed Sullivan that because it was filmed in black and white, you were trying to figure out how to make them pop. And yes. you did something that's very uncommon for most men. You used I did eyeliner. a little eyeliner. And, you and know, I hardly remember that I did that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I saw Paul McCartney a few years ago, he was being interviewed over at CBS, and everybody said, well, you should go over and tell him that you did his makeup for the Ed Sullivan Show. So I did. And he's the one that said it. He said, oh, yes, you use pancake makeup and you use eyeliner. And when we asked you about the eyeliner, you said, it'll be fine. <laughs> so I was stunned that he remembered. And um, I guess I did use eyeliner. As I say, I, I, I hardly remember doing it. What other types of tricks do you use? Well, I, I don't really use tricks. I mean, everybody's different, you know. Uh, some people have very deep-set eyes. If they have very deep-set eyes, you want to lighten, um, especially with the men. You want to lighten inside the uh, on the eyelid and the, um, uh, you know, before you get to the brow so you can see the eyes. Um, and with, uh, you know, if they're balding or have, you know, receded hairline, you want to make sure to get rid of the shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, directors never like that shine <laughs> on, the, on the brow. So, uh, you know, they're not tricks. They're just observing what looks good, um, what, you know, what, what the eye will focus on. Uh, you want to make sure that the five o'clock shadow is gone and um, you know, if they're tired, you, you want to be sure to give them a little more makeup under the eyes so it looks like they had eight hours sleep. And, um, you know, so many of them don't. They, they travel and they work so hard and so long and so late. Uh, they come in looking pretty haggard. It's my challenge to, to make yeah. them look good. <laughs> And and you do you do a great job of it, especially um, you know you're still going and you're still working Thank you. um, at, at at 60 Minutes. And you've worked with so many notable journalists and celebrities, and you know you talked about Paul McCartney. And who is one of the most memorable to you, and why? Well, there are so many memorables. You know, to have made up presidents, and I made up Margaret Thatcher, and that was interesting because she was to christen a ship. And I had to be in her stateroom um, at like five in the morning. Oh wow! And it was I had come from you know I'd been working on Good Morning America. See, I I work for CBS primarily, but since I freelance, I was able to also work in other networks. And I did some commercials, and I worked for MTV. I've done I've done many rock stars. (laughs) So. uh, I, anyway, I, I was working on Margaret Thatcher one more that morning, and um, it just seemed such a contrast to the studio. The studio was always so bustling and busy, and hairdryers going, and phones ringing, and producers coming in, changing script, and adding things, and and talking to the correspondent while I'm making them up. And um, on on the ship, it was so quiet. And she spoke above a whisper. <laughs> so it was, it was such a contrast. <laughs> and it must be 
something that you've learned over the years of kind of how to read the people that you're working on, whether or not they want to chat, whether they Absolutely. want to, to yeah. be quiet, and, and you need to be able to figure out, you know, what's the best way to approach them and to see what kind of mood they're in. I mostly don't start up a conversation um, unless I have a question about, uh, you know, what they're wearing perhaps or, uh, you know, or what they're doing. Sometimes I don't even know. They come and they sit down. I don't know what they're doing, uh, who they're talking to, you know, on some shows. Uh, but um, I, I, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what did you ask me? I, we were talking about how you have to read the mood of the oh, of course. to see whether or not they're interested in even chatting or Thank having you. a quiet day. Thank you. I do, as I say, I don't really uh, talk too much. I find that young makeup artists are very chatty. And uh, my my feeling is that this is the only time, and they tell me this, it's the, it's the only time that they have a little peace and quiet where they can just take a deep breath and close their eyes and think about what they're going to do. And I respect that. Um, if they feel like chatting, fine, we chat. But if not, I'm very quiet. So what keeps you still working? Why not retire and go to a beach and drink some Mai Tais? Oh, I love what I do. I really love it. And it keeps me going, um, you know, and it's a challenge. Every day is a challenge. Even though I have the same group of people, you don't know what's going to have, what's going to come up. Sometimes they come in, they've been too much in the sun. You have to tone that down. They, uh, they work too hard and they look tired and you have to freshen them up. Um, you know, they have a blemish or they have a, a, a you know, some problem that I didn't expect and has to be a bruise even. Uh, you know, has to be covered. So um, it's um, it's just fun. What can you ask for? <laughs> and it gets me career. out. <laughs> gets me out of the house. Yeah. So next week, um, when New York Women in Film um, honors you, is what? How? What does that mean to you? Is is that something that um, you know in in this career? Do those kind of things? Is that important to you? I'm totally honored, and I can't help but thinking, why me? I mean, these other women are doing such extraordinary work, uh, and they they are so talented. I I just wonder, you you know. (laughs) Well, thank you, but I feel, you know, what I do is different, I guess, because they are working on one um, particular series of shows. Uh, they're working on one project, if you will. I, although now I just work on 60 Minutes, but in the past I've worked on so many different kinds of shows, and I've made, I've made up people everywhere. I've made up people in in, in their homes, in the hotel rooms, uh, in uh, on yachts, on boats, in the subway, on the street. Um, I've, you know, I've I've carried my makeup kit all over town, and um, and out of town. And so, um, I, I, you know, it's it's uh, it's fun, it's um, exhilarating and uh, challenging, mm-hmm. and it's something I enjoy doing. Well, I think you know one of the things that's important with something like the Muse Awards is that you know you were speaking about how 
the other honorees work on these series and these shows, and maybe it's a little flashier than the work you do, but yet what you do is still so important for what has to be done for these shows. And it doesn't undercut, you know, how good you are at what you do versus what someone does on, you know, a television series that is fictional. Mm Mm-hmm. So, a lot you know. of a lot of my work has been um, very quick. I mean, I, I've been called, let's say, um, you know, if there's an emergency of some kind, and a correspondent like Walter Cronkite called to the desk to announce some uh, event, uh, and I have been called to rush to to the studio to make him up quickly. And you only have a few minutes, and and in those few minutes. They're doing other things. You know, he's talking to the producer, he's moving his head, he's putting on his jacket, he's fixing his tie, whatever. So you're, you're working on a moving target and, uh, you know, my, my work is a little different, I guess, than somebody coming in at six in the morning and sitting in the chair and closing their eyes and, you know, having an hour to get their makeup applied. Um, I think, you know, my, with the news, it's always hurry up, hurry up, Mm. you know. How much time? And were you there, the reference that you just um, made with Walter Cronkite, were you the one that was with him when he announced the death of President Kennedy? No, I wasn't with him at that time. I was at home. I was pregnant with my seventh child, and uh, she was she was born December 7th. And so, no, I, I wasn't there. But my husband, as it turned out, turned on the announcement. He was a um, switcher. Um, uh, he, he had was looking for other work besides camera, which got uh, to be a little stale for him, and so he wanted to do something else. And they assigned him to uh, to the engineering, and so uh, he did turn it on for the world to hear. But I I didn't. But I was there when they announced Bobby Kennedy's death. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to pull that out as one of the examples of, of what yeah, you know yeah. that kind of fast-paced news yeah, environment exactly. when you have that breaking news. Yeah, well, with Bobby Kennedy, I had made him up, he and his wife, uh, just a short time before that, and mm-hmm. I was so shocked and so saddened to hear about his assassination. Um, and I, I was there with, with uh, Walter Cronkite at that time. Right. Well... I wish that I had more time to speak with you because your stories and your experience and your career is just amazing, and I'm I'm sure that you would have many more uh, interesting tales to tell us. Um, Maybe you should get a biographer to start putting all this down um, because I I, I would love. (laughs) I am actually working on it myself. Uh, you know, we mentioned a lot of the men on 60 Minutes, but we didn't mention the women. We had Meredith Vieira, you know, on the show for a long time, and we had Christiane Amampour, and we have Sharon Alfonsi now. She's lovely. And, and Oprah so we, was a correspondent most recently? I'm sorry? I, I said Oprah was a correspondent. That's uh, right, Oprah, but she brought, yeah. her, she brought her own crew. She brought her own makeup artist. But she was very sweet to me. She gave me a nice hug. <laughs> But she had her own people, yeah. And Leslie um, Stahl will be presenting the award for uh, for you next week. Yes, I'm so honored. 
Yes, so that's that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time. Thank you. And good luck to you, and and, uh, hope that you continue working for as long um, as you want to. We were honored to have you as one of our honorees and uh, a member of the New York Women in Film community. Thank you, Janine. My pleasure. Bye-bye. So welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was for some great conversations. Thanks for that, Janine, and thanks, Leah. That was um, that Yeah, was nice. great job, Leah, and it was uh, wonderful to talk to Ricky. She's just such an inspiration. Yeah, very cool. I'm glad that we were able to. We'll also um, put some photos of them on our blog, uh, of them on the red carpet, and on our social media. So definitely um, check back on our social media for that. We have some blog posts coming up, so definitely go head on over to our NYLIFT blog. Um, And in the meantime, what is happening in the world of women in the industry? Well, um, things uh, aren't great on the critic side, actually. Um, on the website Women in Hollywood, they just reported that the Center for the Study of Women in Television and Film just released their annual Thumbs Down report, and that study basically <laughs> says that male film reviewers still outnumber women two to one. And I think within a year... Um, the percentage point of how many female critics across all different mediums, you know, online, podcasts, print media, went up only 2%. So I think last year was 32%. Now we have 34% of um, critics out there are women, which uh, in today's day and age, and you think of the proliferation of how many, um, especially online sources are, you think that we would have had a more significant bump up in the number of women that are out there, um, you know, as film critics. So it's kind of disappointing. It really is, you know, and it's been, like, going on for quite a a long time. And um, one of the problems is that when you get a film that has, was created by a woman, has a storytelling for women about women, um, and then you have men review it, their perspective is different, so it throws things off a little bit, and that has always been an issue with certain films that don't get as much attention because the the male uh, perspective isn't understanding it or or getting the story or um, or, or really able to criticize it in a in a fair and judicial way. Um, so I feel like it's it's a disservice to some films when we just hear the male's point of view. Um, exactly. Really, I mean, yeah. not every male critic kind of has a bias against women's films, but like right. you said, there definitely is a different perspective viewing it um, coming from a different gender. And part of what the study was talking about was that women critics are more likely to kind of mention a woman director's name or to mention the body of work that a woman has done in the past. And med critics don't do that as often. Um, you know, I hate throwing out statistics, but it's just so interesting the, the type of stuff that they have here because it gets kind of dry when you just say percentages. But, you know, they say 31% of women female critics name female directors as opposed to only 16% of men. 
And that's, you know, if you're talking about films directed by women, which we're still trying to promote and become more aware of, if you have 78% of critics who are men and only 16 of them actually mention that a film that they're reviewing was directed by a woman, Mm -hmm. then that's part of the problem of not creating that awareness that women are out there making these films. Right, and it, and, it, and it trickles down that effect, as you said, because if they're only mentioning the men, then that becomes a problem because that's where we've had that problem back in the day where people are saying there's not enough female critics, female directors, and on the female production set crews or behind it. There are. It's just that men are highlighting men, and in most of, and not saying all of them, but exactly. that has been the case, and that has been how it's, how um, everything trickles down. So it is important to bump up these numbers, and I feel like um, I think just this coming year, um, you know, I think there was a female version of Rotten Tomatoes with cherry picks that started, um, and it's still like in the beginning process where it's sort of they're, they're talking about um, films and reviews and ratings through the female lens, which is um, something that is needed just to, just to sort of, you know, balance things out a little bit and have um, a little bit more of shine and highlight on those films that aren't getting attention because of maybe a gender bias. But um, also there's the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. It's a, it's a nonprofit group of female film critics who have gathered together, and that's been going on for a long time. And those types of organizations and groups are so needed, and we really need to highlight them a little bit more because they're doing some of that um, work that, and highlighting those women that we aren't seeing in other places. Right. So I think there, there definitely also needs to be um, a, a look and a trend towards not just hiring more women female critics, but also hiring more people of various backgrounds and races. Yeah. So yeah. those 78% of men, I don't know what the percentage of that, but I would assume that most of them, uh, the majority is white. So we need Mm -hmm. critics on all different levels of all different races and genders and backgrounds and ethnicities. So, um, you know, I think you need to start somewhere. So, yes, let's hire some women, but also let's make sure that there are, you know, a diverse group of women out there so Mm -hmm. that, you know, you have people that are looking at what's being created through a different type of lens and, you know, hearing that opinion and that criticism, it, it just makes it a little more viable, I think. So it's definitely something that the industry needs to pay attention to. I agree. Absolutely. Yes. Hell yes, Janine. Say it loud. <laughs> <laughs> Say it loud and proud. Say it and loud that, and that proud. that leads me to, like, one other thing before we go on to our picks of what we're watching. You know, on some good news, uh, kind of tying into what we were just talking about in diversity, um, on womeninhollywood.com as well. So everybody should just go to womeninhollywood.com today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to promote them uh, and that website because they have wonderful news updates. But they also have a story that NBC is introducing their first below-the-line diversity initiatives. And NBC is one of the networks that you know has um, a lot of different uh, types of programs to help women in the industry and emerging directors. But this is a new initiative to, to help people um, below the line to become more diverse. So check out that story because, you know, we don't want to make it seem bleak. There are people out there doing, you know, good and trying to get a lot of different people and different players in the industry. So I think we should end on that positive note that it's not all yeah. bad. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, the people are definitely, uh, networks are definitely trying to um, do some of collection of what's been going on in the past. So I think that's good. And because, and the reason that that's happening is because people are, you know, really making a point to shout out from the rooftops about how unjust things have been. So it's good that, you know, little by little, we're seeing some form of of reception from higher players like networks and hopefully more will follow suit. Right, that will spread. Yeah. Well, cool. So, all right, now that we've said that, what are we watching? Let's talk about what the females are watching on this show. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to talk about a powerhouse woman that's out there that I just love, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is the creator and star of the show Fleabag, which just wrapped mm. up its second season and season finale of the show. And it's just brilliant, and she is brilliant. So everybody has to check that out. It, yeah. It's one of the smartest, funniest shows that I've seen in such a long time. And without spoiling anything, the ending is just so bittersweet and well done. Uh, one of the, the best endings to a show, especially a comedy that I've seen in a long, long time. And she's okay. also the developer and a writer on Killing Eve, which also just wrapped up its second season, which wow. another, you know, f- uh, female-led yeah. show, which is just uh, brilliant. And she's I also, love that show. Yeah, and she's also, um, Daniel Craig just uh, brought her on, there's been a lot of talk about this, to be a writer for the latest James Bond movie, and she's going oh, to be kind of putting in um, a new female perspective and how female characters, and not only that, but adding some humor to the new James Bond film. So she's just on a roll, and I think she also developed that HBO show Crashing, or was involved in the development of that. So she's just oh. all over the place, and she's brilliant and funny, but definitely check out Fleabag, because... That show was six episodes, half-hour episodes, and the character arc that started from the beginning until the end was just amazing how in just a short amount of time you really saw this, this woman hit a different point and change in such a lovely way that I, I think everybody needs to watch it. So wow, that watching. sounds great! Wow, yeah. I have not, I have not checked out Fleabag. I've seen all the spots, and I've been wanting to check it out, but I haven't. So maybe I'll, uh, I'll put that on my summer, my summer pick. Definitely to watch do. This. Yeah. So what about you? Well, you know, I'm working on a lot of films, um, and so I've got foreign films on the brain, and some of them are very, very heavy and very deep, and then, um, and then some of them are horror. So, <laughs> so I've been, I've been in, you know, in the film world of just like, when I get home after a long day, I just need to zone out and I tune into Bravo <laughs> and watch some reality show, um, to fall asleep too, because I need to like relax the brain from the craziness. And so I've been really into, um, the new season of New Orleans Southern Charm. And I don't know if anyone <laughs> else watches this, but I think it's just really funny because it just, um, takes my, like I said, it takes my brain away from things. Um, and, and that's just a limited time because then I'm going back into working on an independent film, uh, just doing the PR. Uh, I'm not actually doing the film. I'm doing some PR for an independent film that's coming out um, in September about a, um, a woman in her 80s who it's, – it's a really great film. I don't know how much I can talk about it right now. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I do want to talk about it at, at the uh, – 
later on in the summer because it's it's a very inspiring film, and it uh, talks about a woman who uh, tries to live her life after her husband passes away after they've been married for so many years. So it's it's very good. It's very inspiring, and I'm excited to talk more about that film and hopefully bring a screening to our members um, in September. So, oh, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, keep an ear out for that, and I'll talk more about it. But in the meantime, I'm just watching a reality show <laughs> to go to sleep to. <laughs> hey, there, there's nothing wrong with that. No judgment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do want to uh, catch up on the new se- season of Black Mirror. I hear there's only three episodes. I can totally commit to that, and I'm oh, ready yeah. for that. <laughs> has, has that been posted? That's up on Netflix now, or it's coming soon? I think it's now. Like I've, Oh, I've I have seen, to check. Yeah, I'm, I'm a yeah. big fan of Black Mirror, too. Yes, I think it, it came out in June, so it's out now. Great. For sure. Um, so before we go, we should highlight, besides Designing Women, we have a couple other things coming yeah. up um, for uh, New York Women in Film. Uh, we have an innovation series, The Future of Artificial Intelligence, presented by IBM. That event is on June 13th. Um, yeah. There's a power play breakfast with Terry Lawler, who I know you have um, a long-standing relationship with, because she was the former director of New York. Yeah. Was it executive director? I don't want to get executive her title director. wrong. Executive, executive director. director. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a really um, good one. I think, get your tickets now if you can. I think they're going to be sold out soon. Um, it's, she's basically going to be you know, talking about, you know, uh, film world and television and the digital era, really um, uh, her, what she's doing now currently as a consultant for, um, for other uh, women organizations. And she still serves on the board of many other uh, organizations and foundations. So it's going to be a really great conversation with the lovely Terry Lawler. So please check yeah. it out. And then on the 17th is our annual member meeting and Night With Night Out. And then the 25th, we have a member screening of short films. And all of this information is on the website. So go there. You can get all the details. Sign and up. I do want to say quickly, yes, please sign up. I just want to say quickly, I think that innovation series, I think from what I remember, I was having a conversation with a, a board member who was uh, producing that series. I think they're moving that to September. Um, oh, and I okay. just checked. I just checked the website, and I think they pulled it from the June calendar. So, so, but be on the lookout. If you've already registered, I'm sure that you've got yeah. some information well, about it. Something for you guys to it's look forward to. Coming. Yeah, because it's it's definitely happening. Um, but I think uh, I think they're moving it to September. But definitely check out like like Janine said. Go to the website calendar of events and um, register now for some of these great events coming up. And don't forget, as always, to follow us on all the social media platforms, to subscribe to this podcast, to tell your friends, and to email us at communications at org. if I got that email right. Yeah. Um, uh, if you have any suggestions of things you want us to talk about, people you want us to highlight, if tell us your stories, anything, we are here for you. Yeah. And check back next week with our interviews from the red carpet at the Designing Women Gala and some other interviews that we have uh, planned out for you from members, uh, spotlighting some of our members, and um, and hopefully some more stories to share with you. So thanks, Janine, for all of this. 
Thank you, Margarita. It's always a pleasure to host this podcast with you, and I'm looking forward to our special episode next week. Yeah, absolutely. I will chat with you all again. Looking forward to it. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.